0: Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Nukeproof and We Are One Composites, and there's competitions and discount codes coming up just for you. Nukeproof have recently launched their autumn winter clothing range, and there's merino base layers and socks, along with warm gloves, a light waterproof jacket and a softshell jacket to choose from. I've been giving it all a go over the last few weeks, the temperatures dropped here in the UK, and I've been really impressed with the quality and the styling. The only thing that I'd not had a chance to wear so far was the soft shell jacket because it's just not got properly cold here yet and I run pretty hot. But I decided I really wanted to give it a go, so I rode in it this weekend, even though it was way too warm for it, really, at about 13 degrees C. I paired it with the Nukeproof short sleeve merino base layer underneath, and unsurprisingly, I felt a little bit warm on the first long climb of the day. But what really surprised me was that once my body had got up to temperature, it felt like it kind of stabilised, and I actually felt super comfortable in it for the rest of the ride, not getting hot on the climbs or feeling cold when we stopped for a chat at the top of the trails. It's water resistant and DWR coated so it can deal with the odd shower too, so I can see this jacket getting a lot of use this winter. If you want to sample the Nukeproof autumn winter gear for yourself, then we have a chance for you to win your very own black line waterproof jacket, along with a set of the awesome Sam Hill signature grips and Sam Hill pedals, which are my current go-to flat pedal. All you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Nukeproof, enter your email and the answer to a really easy question before the 9th of December, and then Nukeproof will pick a winner at random. I've been using Wheel One Composite's carbon wheels on my bike for over three years now, with zero issues in all that time. They've not even needed to be shown a spoke key. I love the ride characteristics of their wheels, as they seem to go where you point them and really stick to a line, but they don't get pinged about off every trail obstacle, which can make a bike feel really twitchy when it's like that. If you have ever seen a pair, then you'll have seen the incredible finish, which I can assure you is just as good on the inside of the rim as it is on the outside, which just goes to show how much effort We Are One put into ensuring the quality of everything they make is absolutely world-class. We Are One recently launched a carbon bike 2, the Arrival. I've not had a chance to ride one yet as they're pretty rare still, but if you've taken a look at it online, then you'll be able to see that We Are One's passion for quality and attention to detail is very much alive in the Arrival too. Due to the ongoing crazy demand in the industry and for We Are One products in particular, we're not able to offer you a discount code on Complete Wheels. But the team was super keen to do something for downtime listeners. So for the month of November, you can get 15% off rim only products by using the code WE Supply 2021 at the checkout over at WeR1Composites.com. That's WE Supply 2021, all lowercase, over at WeR1Composites.com. Christmas is just around the corner and if you're looking for the perfect gift for your riding buddies, a partner who rides, or for yourself, then a subscription to Downtime EP and a Downtime hoodie or t-shirt should definitely be on your list. Unfortunately, I've not been able to get Downtime EP and the merch in the same place yet, but I want to make sure that if I move the merch, the quality and the ethics remain just as strong and I haven't been able to work that out yet. If you're keen to get your copy of Downtime EP, Mountain Biking's newest print journal, then you can head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. If you'd like a downtime hoodie or t-shirt, then you can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe, where I've got links to all the major platforms there to help you. Also, I'd love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always great to chat with you in the comments and the messages there. Alright, this week I'm joined by Lyle Hislop. Lyle took over as Greg Minard's mechanic in 2020, where they took a race victory in their first season together and backed that up with a World Champs gold medal this summer. We sat down to find out about Lyle's background, his time in Morzine and how he became Greg's mechanic. Lyle shares some great insight into Greg's setup and processes. We chat about their findings from testing a mullet, hear about the modification that Lyle made to Greg's bike for world champs that even Greg doesn't know about, and much, much more. So, without further ado, here's Lyle Hislop. Lyle Hislop, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's it going?
1: I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on.
0: Ah, it's a pleasure, yeah. And we're late into the evening for you. You're, uh... Based out in Morzine, you were saying the snow's starting to fall already.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's probably halfway down the
0: plenty, I reckon, at the minute.
1: Might uh, probably won't stick around this early on, but we'll uh,
0: we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, but doesn't scupper your riding for a little bit longer yet. You got you got a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be out. I mean, depending on when the snow comes, we'll be out as late as early Jan, weather permitting.
0: Very nice. Good spot to be. Well, let's um, before we kind of get into the Moorsen days let's go back to the beginning. Just tell us a little bit about like where you grew up and how you got into riding. Cause you're from Scotland originally. Is that right?
1: Yeah. 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 So don't let my accent fool you, but I'm, um, <laughs> actually from, uh, Dumfries in the Southwest of Scotland. Um, and I kind of guess like most people got into it because it's something like my old man did. Uh-huh. Um, he was kind of back in the day where they were drilling holes and everything like cranks and chain rings, trying to get all the weight down. Um, so my first mountain bike was his old, he had a Trek 8000 aluminium hardtail. Classic. Um, carbon rigid fork, V-brakes, the works. Nice. It was like a metallic purple, mate.
0: It was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> How old would you have been then when you started riding mountain bikes?
1: Um, I don't, like, I remember doing it, like, pretty young, but then I think he kind of stopped riding for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, So maybe, like... I don't know, thirteen, fourteen, 14 before we started, okay. started. Before he started getting back into it. I remember his first big purchase, like after he'd been riding for a little while, was like a 2005 Enduro. Okay. Um, that I remember him getting. Um, and then 20 after, yeah, so whenever, oh, 05, I'd have been. oh five. what's that? That's terrible maths. Like isn't 16 that? years yeah, three, ago. yeah. Yeah, so I'd, yeah, I'd have been about yeah fifteen, I think, by the time he sort of got a real bike, and then that's when I got his hand me down, and then I had like a giant XTC, which is all mod cons, disc brake, suspension fork, living the dream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Was uh, there racing involved back then for you? Uh, not back then. Um,
1: I did do a handful of SDAs um, uh-huh. back in the day, kind of before I learned how to ride. I am. Um, yeah, after after the giant I saw, I ended up with an enduro as well, for next demo one. And then I got a job working in a bike shop and um it was in the Iron Horse era, so I was like, Well now that I'm in a shop, I'm definitely getting one of those on trade. So got one of those and yeah, did a few races but I had no idea what I was doing. So <laughs> cool. close to the close to the bottom of the bottom half is where you'd find me. <laughs>
0: Excellent, yeah. Sounds familiar. So was that like was bike industry always where you wanted to go then? Was that something that, that lit your fire pretty early?
1: Um I mean bikes definitely have, have always sort of been like a driving factor in most of the decisions I've made, I reckon. Um I never really had a plan. Um obviously after a few races, the dream of being a racer kind of died to death <laughs> as reality set in. Um But, like, I never really knew what I wanted to do at school or anything. Um, But I knew I liked bikes. And then the shop that my dad went to um, had a position open up. And I was, like, a Christmas leaver. So I couldn't leave unless, like, I had a job or um, I was going to, like, further education. So I'd, like, stayed on and then ended up getting this job. um, But mainly because I was, like, meant, like, cheap bike parts, basically. And just to be surrounded by bikes was ace. Um, so did that for a bit. And then that was kind of like the first yeah job in bikes that I had. Um, and then through meeting, there was like a a group of local firemen. Oh, it was, the shop was in Carlisle, actually. So it was just across the border. Uh-huh. Um, so there's a bunch of um, firefighters that used the shop. And then just by chance, they'd sort of booked a random holiday to Marsden. And um, they came back and they were like, you've got to come with us next year. You'll absolutely love it. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like, didn't really know anything about it or what I was getting myself into, but I sort of booked the time off work and went with them the following year, um, which was just mind-blowing. Like, I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah,
0: it's um, a pretty special place, eh?
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, but, yeah, kind of went there and, again, like, didn't really have a plan. I was just on holiday, but, like, got chatting to the guys that lived um, or were working in the um, in the chalet where we stayed and, like, they rode with us a couple of days, and I just I couldn't get my head around that that was their, like, job and, like, their, <laughs> their life. I was like, you actually just... So they did, like, breakfast, but they were out riding with us by, like, 10. And, like, the lift shut at 5, but they had to be at work at 5, so they only kind of missed, like, the last hour of riding. And I was like, you do this every day. <laughs> and it just blew my mind. It was like, to me, it was like being a pro rider, but without any of the stress. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then that kind of became a goal, not to... Pursue anything in biking, but just to find a job that meant I could ride my bike as kind of as much as possible. um So then did that for, for four, yeah, four summers.
0: Um, okay. Well, working in hospitality.
1: Yeah, so it was basically. I mean, I'd, the plan was originally because I chatted to them, and back then there wasn't as big a summer scene. Um, so the easiest thing to do was to get like a, a winter job because obviously yeah. the winter market's like at least 10 times as big. And then because you're kind of there and you can meet people, it's easier to then find a job for the summer. So that was my okay. plan. Um, so I, that that was all kind of set up in motion. I booked this holiday, um, same spot, but I booked it around the time that the owner was going to be there to have an interview for the, the following winter. Um, but just before I got there, um, a now friend of mine, guy had, uh, broke his back and he was like their third man who helped out. Mm -hmm. Um, he was fine, but he's just, he wasn't allowed to do any heavy lifting and obviously he couldn't work. So they kind of offered me the job a little bit earlier than scheduled or like the interview. And it was like, well, we can, we can offer you the job. It might only be three weeks while we're busy and then we might not need you for the end and like whatever. And I was like, whoa, like this is kind of what of the dream but I was like I have got a full-time job so it's like to quit it for the risk of it only being like a few weeks while they were busy so I like rung, rung my mum and my dad and dad was like well I'm coming out in a few weeks anyway so let me know what you need bringing and then <laughs> I was like well all right and then rang mum and she was like you'd be daft not to it'll work itself out Um nice. so, so yeah this sort of three-week busy period became sort of two and a half months while uh, well, the remaining of the season, basically, with the invite to come back for winter. And then, yeah, that was me for for, for three summers, yeah, four summers and three winters.
0: Awesome. So you're well and truly a Morzine resident at that point, I guess. Um, I mean, probably
1: not. Qu- I mean, I was there more than I wasn't. But, I mean, uh-huh. back then I didn't speak any French other than ordering a, a beer and a pan of shock um so, so I, I did that for a bit but like the living like it was living as well which was kind of great at the start but then you're like you're never away from work yeah yeah um so I just grew a bit tiring so I was like I need my own space um by that point I knew I wanted to live here sort of year-round for like long term um so you've, you've got to get the language as well yeah um so I have got myself a job similar thing but just different part it was bike shop summer ski shop winter um in a french shop and um yeah learned learned french that way so
0: stuck yourself in at the deep end basically
1: yeah it was it was full on it was like the summer was pretty cruisy um but the winter they had like so much french clientele and i basically had like a script sheet of like how (laughs) to get through a ski rental so it's like start here say these things in this order and then like every now and again i'd get lost and i'd just be like show the the clients like the the sheet, and they will be like, "You're here." <laughs> I'm like, "Go," and then you'd be like, "Hop back into the <laughs> hot back into the, the the play." Insane, but you're fluent now, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm pretty good, like verbally. Like, I can I can have a good chat. I can speak on the phone, which was a big thing to get out of the way because it's so hard. Um, reading and writing needs a little work, but I I can get by.
0: Yeah, impressive yeah. stuff. So, how long did you do that for then before? the opportunity sort of came along to get involved with Santa Cruz with them setting up their like European base there.
1: Yeah. So that was, I think that was three winters
0: there. And then
1: yeah, three summers and three winter, four summers there actually. And then I did a winter, um, with like a ski delivery service. Cause I was trying to do my, my snowboard instructor's course. So I kind of needed uh-huh. like a more flexible, um, time. So I did that. Um, and then in 2016, um, Santa Cruz were setting up like sort of there or moving into into Europe. They'd kind of, I think they'd just completed the sort of pawn um, buyout thing. And like one of their big goals was to sort of push into Europe. So um, Will was kind of based here already. Um, they'd got in Loic, um, Delta, sort of in to sign, do the job that I'm doing now, but he was kind of doing 400 jobs at once <laughs> um so they but yeah so they were here in 2016 they did this like huge dealer event to kind of announce that they were going to be in europe and they invited dealers in from like all over the place and they were all staying at the cottage which was like a hotel at the bottom of the plenty yeah i don't know if you ever made it there or not
0: i'm aware of it yeah
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so they were all there um and all the staff were there um my mate, a friend of mine was working the bar um, and he's a great barman. Um, he seems to say stubborn no matter how drunk you get. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he'd sort of met all the staff um, and they were chatting about sort of bringing in like a demo tech or a guy to did demo. Louis and Will were looking for like a marketing wrench and sort of they'd asked him if they knew any bilingual mechanics. Um, and he said me. And that was kind of how that came about, really.
0: Yeah, happy day. So what is it you you were were and still are doing for them on the on the non World Cup side of things?
1: Yeah, it's kind of it's 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 evolved a little bit but in in the beginning there was so few of us we kind of all had to do a little bit of of everything. Um so mainly it was sort of uh like a marketing mechanic basically. Um so I'd order the the bikes for any press camps that came out um uh-huh. or so or at least if they were ordered from HQ I'd sort of follow them and make sure they arrived and got built up and shipped out to wherever they need to go um a bunch of press camps i've been to which is kind of epic part of what i get to do sometimes (laughs) um so yeah build them up fly them out to wherever if something breaks fix it for a journalist if it doesn't then just sort of either provide like logistic support driving vans or sometimes you get to ride at the back just with a big pack of spares just in case Nice. Um, yeah, demo fleet stuff uh, helped out with a bit of warranty. Um just whatever needs doing really.
0: Yeah, a busy man no doubt without adding uh, a bit of world cup stuff on top of it. But <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> yeah, the, the syndicate's thing sort of came along by them. They've got some space there, right? They do they use some storage or put the trucks Yeah, so out? we've
1: got yeah, we've got a storage unit sort of not far outside of Marzine, which is where I work. I've got like a workshop in storage and bikes there. And then they were trying to base more of, with all the races being predominantly in Europe, they were trying to sort of consolidate all their pieces into one place and sort of cut down on shipping in that. Um, so we sort of joined all that together. Um, so yeah, we share a space, um, just outside
0: Mosey. Yeah, and you'd already sort of started doing a few bits and bobs for them, had you, before the opportunity? Yeah, it was
1: It was made, I mean, it, it was just, I created like a big inventory list for them, basically, because Dougie, Dougie Fresh does all the orders. And he gets a little bit of it now to HQ, but the majority of it comes to me. So I'd sort of receive everything for him, count it in, and then any time anything got pulled out, I'd pull it out for him and make sure it was there, ready to go on the truck. But that was yeah. kind of it as far as involvement went
0: fair play fair enough so were you a greg minna fan yourself as a kid because i guess you kind of like me you've grown up watching greg race
1: yeah no definitely i mean i'm i'm a self-proclaimed fanboy still to to this day i just love racing and um but yeah i mean i remember me and my dad we took uh, the whole week off uh the world champs in fort william 2007 yeah and uh it just yeah just went and hang out and was there every day and like managing to speak to everybody and um the syndicate all the syndicate guys were mint had a good chat with rennie back then and um yeah back on honda just being like what is this spaceship of a <laughs> of a bike that i'm looking at
0: yeah that's awesome and did you get to to know greg a little bit kind of through the whole santa cruz and syndicate stuff because he's he spends a bit of time in morzine anyway right like, yeah you, definitely i mean before it's- you
1: were- I knew him. I knew him a little bit. Like we'd done a few few laps on the plane together. His um, his old mechanic, Marsh, he also lives just outside of town. Um, and I mean, I've Marsh has been here forever. He's as old as some of the chalets here. Uh, <laughs> but like, I knew Mashi. So you he, like, you go around for a barbecue. Greg will be there, and like work events and stuff. So knew him a little bit. Like, few few wines together in Marsin. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Yeah, just a few, and then <laughs> just a couple, yeah, like. yeah. So at the end of 2019, Marshy moved away from working with Greg, and obviously there's a a vacancy. Did you kind of have your eyes on it, or did things just kind of fall into place?
1: No, it was it was actually a bit of a joke because it was it it was actually at the start of well the well what would have been the 2020 season. It's um, so like Marshy had come into that that like, expected to be Greg's mechanic in, in that season and then I think with all the, the COVID stuff and the delays he'd sort of just realised he's like he, he basically just wanted to do something different for a little bit um he bought a Unimog and a Digger and was just sort of <laughs> he's like a he's like a kid <laughs> but he was just loving that and sort of decided to yeah just to have a break and play in his Digger for a bit um yeah. but it was it was like a team camp, kind of. So everybody was in Marzin anyway, and we went for like a day's ride in Marzin. And we were joking. I was saying, "Yeah, you couldn't pay me to to wrench for Greg or Loris if I want to wrench for anybody to be Luca because he's Mister <laughs> Mister Happy Go Go Easy." I was like, and then yeah, and then eventually, like that was just a passing joke. And then yeah, a couple of weeks later, <laughs> here I was.
0: Yeah, were you uh, were you pretty excited when the offer came your way?
1: Yeah, I mean, like. It kind of came out of nowhere because they'd kind of like they joked about it because obviously like we share the space and they were in and out and I knew the guys and stuff and I was like yeah obviously I'd love to but I've kind of got this full time job that that like kind of takes up my whole time um, and then they sort of like left it and then they came back and they were like no actually we're we're kind of serious do you think you could like figure out a way to make it work and I was like well I can ask the question. Because, like, I thought it might have just been just for 2020. Obviously, it was such a strange season and it was pretty yeah. short. There was only, what, three venues, worlds, and then two double headers. I was like, there might be a way to make this work. And it yeah. was kind of something that I'd always dreamed of doing. Um, so, yeah, I asked, I asked my bosses and sort of we came up with a bit of a plan to make it work. Um, and then I was like, yeah, you're, you're on. It's happened. Nice.
0: Yeah. So how do you and Greg get from kind of being occasional drinking buddies and a few laps on the plenty to being ready to, to kind of race together effectively and and to get ready for a world cup? Like what did you do in that, you know, first, I guess in the end, like two thirds of 2020, because also it was pretty restrictive for what you could do anyway. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, to be honest, it was a bit of, it was really lucky that it happened the way that it did. I think had it been any other year, my first race might well have been a World Cup. Yeah. Um but we did we did a week a weekend down at his place in Andorra just to sort of get a feel for how each other work and basically see if it would work and on that level. And he was super stoked and I was super stoked and a lot of the sort of worries I had about working for him like sort of almost like, am I good enough? Can I give him what he wants because I know how particular he can be and actually, it was kind of the opposite. He's, he knows so much that he wants, it actually makes my job a little bit easier because it's like, there's no guessing. You just, all right, yeah. That's right, you've asked for this. That's what you've got. And it's, as long as it's repeatable, which it is, then, then he's happy sort of thing. Um, yeah. But with it being the, the COVID year and there being no races, the team decided to do a bunch of French caps. Um, so the first race we did together was Desalp, uh-huh. um, just a French cup there. Uh, with the whole squad, which was cool, so it was like full setup, like track and sort of doing stuff. And um, that was probably one of the hardest or biggest things that I did learn, at least that them first few races, was kind of like the motions of a race week. Because I can build a bike, I can bleed brakes, I can I can give him like height, this level, levers, this. I can make it feel like his bike, but knowing sort of what to do when and like when to prepare things and what to prepare so that basically your weekend goes as as smoothly as it can. That was a big learning thing. I think I bit off a bit more than I could, I
0: could chew that first (laughs) race, but
1: we managed to get the bike together and him to the top of the hill one time.
0: Yeah. A bit of a learning curve then really kind of again in at the deep end.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, big shout to, to PA and, uh, and Tom Duncan as well. Who's um, Luca and Loris's mechanic at the time, they were awesome, like super patient. And like, no matter how many questions I had, they were they were more than happy to help out and stuff. So I learned a lot those first few races from them too, for sure.
0: Yeah, What were the unexpected elements of it? Because like you say, you know how to prep a bike, but what were the sort of the bits that maybe surprised you through that first race week experience?
1: Um, the biggest thing that surprised me is how sort of sensitive Greg is to like small things like you kind of expect it, but like brakes is a big one for him. So it's like, I didn't really know how long you would go on a set of brakes. Whereas now I can kind of gauge it depending on how hot it is and how steep the track is. Uh-huh. Um, and then just silly, th- like not silly things, but like you probably won't let a set of tires do more than say like six or so runs. Um, just so that it's, it's all about keeping the bike as consistent and as the same as possible. So there's obviously yeah. the tires deteriorate. We might not notice we can run them into the ground cause we don't want to buy them or whatever it may be, but just sort of how quick things deteriorate and then just making sure you've got the right things at the right time. Like yeah. I remember I had my spare wheels set up all with discs on and then I sort of swapped his tires out because his tires were gone and um, pads were fairly new, but they'd been like scrubbed into a different set of discs. And I changed them and he was just like, brakes were terrible. Like, what's happened? And we sort of chatting about it. He's like, nah, so we always keep discs and pads together as a pair. So like now all my spares don't have discs on. And when we do, this sort of two separate events. If we do wheels and discs and brakes are fine for tyres, then you just swap discs over and get them back in the bike. And then if we're doing, if we're doing brakes, then the tyres can stay on, but you do discs and pads at the same time.
0: Yeah. Ah, Fair play. And is how long breaks last? Are we talking pad wear? So when the pads wear too far, the lever feel changes or?
1: Uh, I mean, that does. um, I mean, he, we run about like a 10 or 12 mil lever throw, um, which is like super tight. So any sort of considerable pad wear, obviously the lever moves a lot, Um, but just he's, he's a big dragger. Um, he's like, he's always on <laughs> Yeah. which made me laugh when he said it to me. He's like, yeah, no, nah, I'm always breaking. Um, <laughs> but I think the way that he breaks, he tends to build up more heat. Um, cause yeah. he's not coming in last minute hammering on the anchors and then getting off, he'll kind of break way earlier and just gradually slow the bike down. And, um, I think yeah, he just generates a lot more heat. So he just cooks the discs, um, okay. and, and the pads really.
0: Yeah. So how, how many runs might you get on a, is it pads that you're going to end up changing first?
1: Well, we changed both, I sort of before, okay. so like if you, if you sort of scrub in together, so if you sort of, I mean, I know not everybody's like that, but he can really feel the difference in the break. And if you sort of, if you would kept the disc and changed the pads or vice versa, yeah, he'd, he'd be able to feel that it wasn't, it wasn't right. Uh huh. So every time we do pads we do discs and every time we need to do discs we do pads.
0: Interesting. So even yeah. if you like fully like cleaned the discs and scrubbed them into a new set of pads he'd still feel the difference, do you think?
1: Yeah.
0: I reckon. Whoa. Fair play. Yeah. He's a sensitive fella, isn't he?
1: He is a sensitive fella. <laughs> um I remember that first race actually the sun like the sun came up so it was like a run maybe second run in. He was like, oh, check the tires. They feel like they've gotten hard, which makes sense, obviously, like warming up. And they were a PSI out front and rear. Wow. Yeah. Unreal.
0: (laughs) That's thing. It's it's
1: madness. Um, But yeah, it's just trying to manage all that and to make sure that you're not like. So also he likes to have brand new discs, pads and tires for race run. Yeah. So okay. you're trying to make sure that you cycle everything so that you're not wasting. So you know how many runs roughly you're going to get out of a set of tires or a set of discs. But you know that you're going to have freshes on at this point. So you don't want to you don't want to rinse through stock unnecessarily. Yeah. So you kind of got to cycle it through. So especially if you're doing two races back to back, that's kind of cool because you know that your race tires have done one run and then you can go yeah. through the most of the day with practice and then they come off and then the next set go on. because otherwise you'd be forever throwing good tires out, which is
0: yeah yeah where does all that stuff go does it go to waste or does it end up I, I see a lot of kids at races walking away with tires over their shoulders but
1: yeah I mean it's kind of a hard one especially for us with tires because we've got um, prototype tires that've got test pilot written on the side yeah um, so you, you, you wouldn't we don't give them out for free so we, we cut a lot of the tires which is is a real shame um, but which was cool this year is that the um, the union um team were on maxis as well yeah um so we had a bunch of tires left over from previous well not a bunch but we had some tires left over from a previous season that we weren't going to use and um, so we were able to sort of pass them down and they could use them which was far better use for them
0: definitely yeah that's awesome so you had um you had a few races to kind of get up to speed but i think your f- your first big race with greg then was world champs right in league again, yeah what what's it like to be stood at the top of the mountain as the mechanic for the most successful downhill racer of all time? That must've felt pretty surreal.
1: It was, it was the whole thing was just madness. Cause like that was the first race we'd done where everyone was there or almost everyone was there. Yeah. So like, again, trying not to fan boy, but you've got everybody warming up <laughs> and you're just
0: like, no way. There's,
1: there's that. Oh, there. You're like, right. You got to sort of focus. And then, like the weather was crazy and then it started snowing at the top, which was just ridiculous as well. So you're like, and then he gets into the start hut and he's had his last bit of water, his goggles are on. And I'm just looking at the back of his jersey and it says South Africa. And I'm just like, what <laughs> am I doing here? I have got no <laughs> business being here. Um, that's, it was that's just bad. mad. Yeah, it was.
0: Yeah. What What do you take? To the top of the hill for Greg. Then has he? Uh, has he got a long list of things that he needs?
1: Really um, he's definitely got a process. So we'll take we'll take a spare set of wheels. If the weather looks like it might turn, we'll take an option. Um, so that could be either like a cut version of a dry tire, if it's like it might be intermediate, or it can be like a full set of wets if it's if it's on the cusp of turning. Mm-hmm. Um, we've took a mudguard up before um, just because if there's a lot of still water like if it's it, it comes in real hard and there's still water we'll change out the mudguard um, but that's kind of it in terms of spares for the bike I've got a backpack with a tool roll in there just for kind of emergencies and then he has an espresso and a banana um, mm-hmm. halfway through his warm-up yeah. uh, without without fail um, I carry for qualies, normally just one pair of gloves and one pair of goggles, but for race run, I'll have two pairs of each just in case. Yeah. And then we carry, does like a a little um, Albus oil on some toilet paper.
0: Oh, um, stuffed up his off, nose.
1: Stuffed up his nose, yeah. Open yeah. open up the airwaves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. How do you transport an espresso to the top of the mountain for him?
1: Uh, they come in many different shapes, sizes and forms, but Kathy always tries to find the smallest bottle she can. <laughs> um and we've got a coffee machine in the truck so we make an espresso and then tip it into a little bottle classy yeah Everyone knows how to live have you ever yeah, he's, he's got
0: <laughs> yeah. have you ever forgotten anything for the top of the hill
1: um i probably have i didn't well we've also got a sweat towel in there because obviously they get pretty hot during warm-up and when it's yeah. 30 degrees wherever you're racing um so i forgot that the once. <laughs> um, so he was a bit sweaty before a race run. Um but no, I don't think anything drastic, that I can think of. Good
0: work. What's and what's Greg like at that point? Like what what does he need from you once he's getting into that race ready sort of mindset?
1: Not a ton, to be fair. He's pretty chill. That's it's super interesting actually being at the top. If you can ever I'd definitely uh if you're like a big fan and you can never get to the top before. Before even a quali would be enough if you want to be at the bottom for finals, but like to watch the differences between everyone, um, it's super interesting. Like, some people are super fired up and focused, kind of like, I don't know, Laura seems to get into like a pretty intense zone. Um, you've got people like Cade and Phil who just sort of jib around making the <laughs> downhill bikes look like BMX. It is, um, Greg's probably somewhere in between. He, um, he just puts his headphones on and like. Has a bit of a, a cruisey warm-up to begin with, does some sprints, has his banana and his his espresso. Um but we'll we'll chat a little bit. He'll like you he might you might ask me to radio down to Steve just to make sure, like if I remember Maribor in 2020, it was a little bit wet and he was wondering if people were still jumping the triple, which they were, and that was just kind of enough for him. Headphones back on and that was him. And then yeah, once that's done, he'll have a little ride around on his bike. Um take the goggles to the start hut for him with some water. And then he'll have a last minute water, put his goggles on and and that's it.
0: Yeah. And is he in the mood to have a laugh? Like you guys seem to have a a good, like pretty easy going relationship, but does that, does that change? Is that, is that different once you're into that part of the weekend?
1: No, I mean, it kind of depends race to race. Um, for no real reason other than just sort of the way it goes. I remember before he, before he dropped in, um, Before he dropped into uh, Lusa, actually, before he won, with about like 45 to go, I made him laugh. And we were having a proper chuckle in the start, goggles on, ready to go. And then, yeah, then he managed to to compose in and then he went and won. And then other times he's totally locked in and has a mare. There's no real pattern to it. But yeah, Yeah. if, if, if if it's funny, he's going to
0: have a laugh. Yeah, fair play. I was going to ask you about that, you know, first season pretty pretty good going really, I mean taking a win in loser, your first world cup win as a mechanic yeah how did that how did that event go from your perspective it's
1: just It's just mad, like again, like I didn't feel like I had any place being there at worlds 'cause it was just so surreal, and then we went to the first world Cup um and he got a podium, so that was just like. I mean, you, you you expect it from him because it's Greg. Do you know what I mean? Um yeah. so To be a part of it, it's just still feels so surreal. Um, and I think we we got a fifth and then a ninth and then he went and won. And I'm just like, well, this is this is just ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, I never count him out. I never have. But like, he is getting obviously older and there's more and more fast people to beat. So you just like you you wonder if he will. And then it'd be like it'd be amazing, obviously, for me to be part of that and. And then he did it, and you just like I just, you just can't believe it. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's like yeah, when's not, it going to end?
0: Not a bad first season for you, was it? That
1: yeah, no. You just I'm just pinching. I mean, obviously, it's I'm super fortunate to to have Greg as a as a rider. Um, like obviously, he's my first rider as well. I've got no previous race experience, and like I know a lot of people serve a lot of time to get to to the sharp end of things. So I'm just super super fortunate and thankful to to be able to work for him really
0: oh you're clearly you're clearly doing a good job or the results uh, would tell otherwise I'm sure you you mentioned um, that before a race run you're changing you're putting on fresh tyres fresh discs fresh pads are there other things that you do to the bike before a race run that maybe you're not doing for kind of other runs throughout the week Mm, not
1: not really um I mean, is it in terms of like changing parts or anything different you do, you don't need anything different like that. I mean it gets uh like a, you take the shock out, um, obviously before his race run, which you wouldn't do every run just to make sure that the, the rear end's still free. Um, gets a little bit of extra polish here and there to make sure everything's slipping and sliding where it should. Um, but they're just kind of like minor details. Um failing that, there's just I got a little process that I do before before we leave where it's sort of you do like your you your new tires, desk, pads and make sure everything's um in and whatever. And then I'll do like a full bolt check. Um so I start with eights for pedals, then I do sixes and fives all the way down to the little bolts and I'll do that once as early as I can, depending on how much work needs to be done. And then I'll kind of just like walk away from the bike for a bit. So like grab a snack, maybe go and say hello to someone and then sort of 10 15 before we leave I'll go back to it and I'll do a second bolt check just to make sure uh-huh. I've not missed anything uh, which I don't do for every run obviously um and then yeah do tire pressures and and fork pressures before we leave yeah
0: are you going as far as using a torque wrench for that sort of stuff or do you do you have a good feel for where everything should be
1: um the only thing I tend to torque is the uh the fork clamps uh-huh um but everything else is is pretty tight and yeah just sort of feel it out really
0: yeah fair play chain does that get changed before a race run uh, yeah
1: sorry yeah, yeah it's a chain brand new chain for race run yeah um, just because you know then that it's brand new so if you have any issues with it then it's not something you could have missed because um, you can not I mean you could check every single link but the chances of you missing something um, on a chain's pretty high so you just put a new one on and if it snaps out the gate, then it's it was a faulty chain kind of thing. And there's only so much you can do to prevent that from happening. It was brand new. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. So a successful first season, the, the partnership was obviously going well and you had a full off season together this time coming into 2021. Mm-hmm. Did you get up to much testing wise?
1: Um, We did a week in San Remo or San uh-huh. Romolo, whatever is technically correct. Yeah. Um, and the main focus of that was to, he'd never tried a mullet. Okay. Um, we didn't think it was for him, but there was obviously a few, quite a few people going, going well and they were becoming more and more popular. So we thought it, even if we don't, even if he didn't like it, it'd be better to know that he didn't like it for whatever reason and then move forward rather than sort of keeping the what if open. So we did, did a week basically doing mullet versus 29 or stuff. Um, uh-huh. But the 29er came out victorious for him.
0: (laughs) And is that purely based on time against the clock or is there an element of kind of fear and confidence in that as well? Um,
1: A bit of both, I'd say. Uh, The the ride feels obviously quite different and he kind of felt that like a lot of the, the benefits were at the same time, like what was less good about the bike. So, yeah. like a lot of people say, you can turn it quicker, and you can. If you make a mistake, it's easier to correct, uh, which he totally agrees with. But he kind of felt that it was equally easier to make a mistake on the mullet bike Um, okay. because it was. He felt slightly less stable, or he kind of said it was like putting xe tires on your on your downhill bike, which <laughs> <laughs> is kind of it was one of the ways he described it. Yeah, fair um, enough. I think it kind of also opened, like, there's a couple of tight turns. There's, like, a, a right-left, which is, like, real tight with some, like, trees sort of at shoulder height. And he said he just let them up on the mullet. And he was like, that's unreal how this thing turns. But I think it kind of showed him what was possible. Because yeah. then he went back to his 29er and kind of attacked them the same way he'd attacked them before. And reckoned that it went just as quick around those turns, but on the bigger bike or on the, on the bigger wheeled bike.
0: Yeah, given himself the confidence to turn into it hard enough, I suppose through yeah. run a smaller wheel through. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I kind of think, at least from conversations I've had, if you get them to do however many runs, the fastest time anybody will probably do might be on the bigger, like the 29er, But then yeah. maybe the next five or six times, just under it, will all be on the on the mullet. Okay. Um, kind of, it's, it, it's kind of what I've heard is a consistent. Like theme, but um, yeah. for him, I think being so tall as well, I think that's a, a big factor for it. He's not getting booted up the arse by
0: the tyre. Yeah, he's got plenty of room to move maneuver with it. He was running yeah. that super long rear end in 2020. Did he move yeah. away from that a little bit throughout this season? Have you made some yeah. changes there?
1: We we actually did it in um, loser, and the idea was that it's just it, the top section was like super not flowy, but had like lots of rollers and doubles and berms and like to try and generate speed. And he kind of felt like he could do that better with a bit of a shorter rear end. Um, but he also reckoned that he'd been trying to compensate for, ai don't want to get it wrong, but basically a lack of strength in, through his shoulders mm-hmm. um, or at least his upper body. So by making the bike longer, it would stable that, stable the bike out. And it'd be easier on him. So this last off season, he did a ton of work. Um, him and Alan Milway went to town, and he came out super strong. Um, like I was, I was genuinely impressed. Even by even by February, he had um, we'd done. God, he was punching runs out. He did like ten the first day, ten the second day, nine. The day after that, and then maybe eight the day after that, and he this hadn't is on complained. San Romulo, right? This is on San Romulo. Yeah, she's like rough it's as rough as, and it doesn't work unless you're trucking. I was trying to ride it, <laughs> and you're either in <laughs> it or you're out of it. There's no in yeah. between. Um, but like, not one complaint about his his back needing attention, and, and Laura would vouch for for this. But like the in the season before, it was kind of a running theme that he needed work doing to his sort of back just to keep him loose and open Um yeah. when he gets tight the bike feels sort of small and his bars feel in whereas when he feels open everything feels a lot bigger Um okay. so I think being stronger he could handle the slightly smaller bike and I think he said the bike felt more balanced actually being that little bit smaller than it did with the the extra long rear end.
0: Interesting so the changes have been made around his physical abilities more so than anything else?
1: Mm, yeah I reckon.
0: Yeah interesting i've not heard people talk about it in that way before so you mentioned he's pretty fussy about brakes which is fair i can totally understand that are there other elements of the bike that he's particularly you know kind of specific about
1: i mean kind of like most people we have like a sort of dry um tire pressure and a wet tire pressure um we run about 24 in the front and 26 in the rear normally yeah um like I say, if they change, you can tend to feel it, but we just keep an eye on the temperature and check them regularly. It's not a it's not a big issue. Um, bar roll, but we've, again, you just we try and set up a few bars early on so that if he has a big crash or for whatever reason, a few races in, you want to freshen them up. You've kind of got them ready to go on and then you're not wasting time at a race trying to change the sweep of his bars. You just put them on and you're good to go.
0: Uh, So you've got bars and stems already mounted together in a place that he's happy with, right?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, if if you're just testing or you're, you're cruising wherever, then it's not the end of the world, but they do so few runs at a race. You can't really afford to be wasting time trying to get like little details like, like that sorted. So like the whole cockpit, we've got bars set up, um, we get a level bit of ground and we know what levers, uh what the angle he runs his levers at. So you just get the angle job out and set them, you know, how far to measure them in so that if you need to change it, the whole front end, you can just jump onto it and, it and it feels like home.
0: Yeah, fair play. That's some serious attention to detail. So, from your perspective, what things are you doing to the bike that you think either help from like a speed perspective, like make the bike go faster, or are just kind of really nice, neat touches that you as a mechanic appreciate um i like
1: to make sure his wheels go fast so i like yeah i like pulling them apart and spinning them up on the drill and cleaning the bearings out um, taking all the grease out of those bearings then and just putting a bit of oil in yeah basically yeah um, i think we're pretty fortunate as well like the the the, the king hubs do seem to well they, they get better with age like the the older right. they are the, the faster they go it seems to be yeah um but yeah I like to just and we don't take run them with like they've got two parts, so we'll take the on the race wheels we'll take the sort of rubber part out. Um mm-hmm. so it means dirt does get in. So like yeah, keeping them fresh um and sort of lubed up and spinning free. Um I don't know really. I don't I don't know what other mechanics do, but I just try to keep things as like consistent as possible. So just to make sure that there's like Apart from changing like the odd click here or there, which is sort of track dependent and Greg dependent, just to make sure that everything that goes on is is always the same feel, so you've not got wildly different. Like if you change your wheels or the spoke tensions, like the same, so he's not going from like a super rigid pair to a soft pair, or every brakes biting in the right place, things like that, just to make sure that it's as consistent as possible. I think.
0: Yeah. Any advice for? stopping brakes from rubbing because that's something that i constantly seem to be chasing like
1: it's it's the absolute bane of my life um (laughs) well because he runs so little throw i've got to bring his pads closer to the disc yeah the like the the room for error on him is just it's minuscule so quite often like for i'll i'll set him up as close as i can and they'll be rubbing like not bad, like not bad enough to stop the wheel, but they make an awful racket, and then I've yeah. got to go and do like twenty laps of the the pits just to get that tiny little bit so that they stop stop wow. slinging. <laughs> um, I don't. It's hard though, eh? because like discs from new from the box aren't as straight as you'd always like them to be.
0: Yeah, are you are having to do a bit of manual disc straightening. Then have you got like a, a tool for that?
1: Yeah, yeah, got a little um, got a little disc straightener. Um, but yeah, I've. I don't know. I tend to prefer to do it by eye. Um, I know like for ease you can kind of pull the caliper on and tighten it up. But um I'll tell you what I would say for people who use Shimano though is make sure that the especially if you've got four pots, make sure that the sort of pads are hitting the disc at the same time. You get uh-huh. a wildly different lever feel if you if your caliper's sort of on the piss even if even if it's not rubbing. You think it's a get It'll spongy if uh yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a much firmer, firmer lever feel if they're sort of coming in and coming in together.
0: Yeah, worth taking a bit of time over them.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: And how are you bedding the brakes in? Is that something you've got a special technique for? Because again, I, think uh, do I don't that, think
1: it's do that wrong. And yeah, I don't think it's anything revolutionary. I just put them in, um, squirt a bit of water on them, and then. There's a bit of a hill. Ideal, you just sort of drag them down and sort of hammer them on just enough, and you you can you can feel them come come to life. You sort of nothing will happen for the first few goes. Then you'll start getting a bit of a bite, and then all of a sudden it's just like boom, they're on, and then you leave it, and then
0: then we're done. (laughs) is up to him. Step away from the pads. Yeah, Yeah. fair enough. Let's talk a little bit about the 2021 season. It it was a little bit up and down for Greg, I guess, but the the big highlight has to be that world champs win in Val de Sol. Am I right yeah. in thinking you guys went there a few weeks ahead to do a bit of testing?
1: Yeah, we'd done, we wanted to, um, basically we'd gone to Maribor IXS, um, the sort of midweek IXS before European champs, um, just to get a bit extra biking, uh, bike timing, because the, the previous year, like I said, when we did the, the French Cups, we, everybody came in a little bit. I think, like more race ready and sort of up yeah. to pace. And then when you look at the results, I think we ended up taking three out of four. So I think it was, that was kind of the idea, just a bit, of, a bit of time at Maribor, and then we could go back and hopefully have a better result there. And then kind of similar thing literally, just to get a a base feeling for, for what Valdezol might be. Um, I mean, the track wasn't taped and some of the bits we rode ended up being changed for the race, but we just kind of got like a, a feel for where we were. Um, we lifted up the bars from the off and a few, few little changes here and there. It's just, again, it's all about that, that time saving as much time as you can save to be more prepared going into a race. Um, the more you can focus on getting faster when you're actually there.
0: I say a lot of people commented that Greg seemed to be, you know, up to pace on that track very quickly. So I guess it must've paid off.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a weird week, eh? Like it must've paid off just being... Well like comfortable from the off, I mean world is also a weird one because there's an extra day of practice, yeah um but he was he was just on from the get get go He doesn't often get like super excited, whereas like first and second run, he was just like up for it, he just he was ready, and then he sort of came down, and it was the second day of practice, he's like, "I've got to slow down because he's going to end up peaking too soon, wow. Um, because he's definitely not like some riders just come out the bat swinging and they swing the whole day and like the whole week and they might still be that fast by the end, but he's definitely a builder yeah. um he rides fast and he he builds and he he does try to peak, um on rest day, but yeah he's like i've got to, I've got to slow down. this is too early for going this quick
0: <laughs> interesting. does that like put more pressure on you when you've got Greg who you know is capable in that kind of mood? feeling that good about stuff like did, um did I was just ex-
1: I was just excited um to be honest um because we ended up making like a like a sizable change really like god what was it third day of practice maybe um I'm trying to think now but like it was all excitement and then once I think he'd started really opening up sort of maybe towards seeding uh, maybe just before seeding um it was starting to really get any like the small smaller details of the bike and we changed yeah. we changed uh, the bottom link, um, which we tested again the week the week or two, well whenever it was and before Maribor we tested. Um and basically there was a bit more support kind of off the top and through the middle mm-hmm. um than the than the production link. And basically it meant the, the bike was just sitting a little bit taller. So yeah. you like the rear end felt amazing but it actually meant the bike to him felt like a little bit longer so he was feeling a bit stretched out in a few sections where he was really pushing on um so he was like on and on whether you go like down a spring just like let the bike sit in more or do we go back to the original link and we're just kind of chatting about and we said well if that's how the bike works the best we keep it and then we'll try and bring the bars in um so to compensate for the reach basically so that's yeah that's what we ended up with a 45 instead of a 50 interesting
0: um, that five mil reach just helped him feel more comfortable
1: yeah it just it stopped that stretching fit sensation he had through through his um through his arms basically and his upper body just yeah. bringing the bars in that little bit and then yeah he was happy that and that was the setup that we kept for the rest of the year really um, How cl-
0: how close to finals was that change
1: I think it was just before seeding, okay so it would have been it would have been the i think i can't, can't quite remember, but yeah, I think it was seeding day,
0: yeah, so you had a decent amount of time with it to get used to it before
1: yeah yeah' you had, you had, had a couple of runs and a seeding run and then the runs that you had in the morning before, yeah uh, well seeding was Friday when it's the end it'd be saturday and then and then Sunday, so yeah, enough about halfway, I think
0: yeah. Still, yeah, like you say, a big change to be making in the middle of World Champs Week, but it paid off. He was obviously confident and everything went the right way. That yeah. must have Matt must have been insane.
1: That was it was just surreal. Like again, like like last like last year at Luther, you kind of can't believe it, but you can because it's Greg. Um <laughs> But like that whole week, like I say, he came in, he was just up for it from the off, which was just exciting. And then we were getting ready to go up before his finals run. And it was, I think Luca and Tom had already gone. Steve, I think, had already gone up to check something on track. So it was just me, Kathy, uh, Laura, the physio, Sarah, Greg's missies, and Greg, obviously. And we just started chilling and it was just real calm. Like, music was going, like, didn't feel like anything was about to happen. Like, even like, even, like a race run, there was no, nothing. Just chill. And then, we're sort of getting things together and Greg asked Sarah to write him like a little, or do a little good luck, whatever on the back of his Jersey. Um, and we're kind of joking. Cause she was like making a meal of it being like, oh, I don't know what to put him like stressing. So I think basically she just drew a little, a little heart on the back of his Jersey. And then she was saying, cause we're starting to like, just casually put things away inside the track. She was like, Oh, where does this love live? I'll put it back. And he just sort of looked and was just like, nah, keep it, keep it on. you just, just keep it on you. Yeah. And she was like, All right. And then I don't really think about it after, but I was just like, the confidence of the man to be like, just hold on to that gold pen because I've got a feeling that I might need it. And then I don't know if you see it in the live stream, but he like Yeah when he did when he did when he just hopped over and wrote it on. I'm just like, you couldn't write it.
0: Unreal, isn't it? Yeah, that he he was that confident that there was a chance of taking a win that day. It's, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And then like, I was up at the top, um, signal was terrible. So you we were like trying to watch the live timing come through cause there was no live feed. Um, so I kind of got heads split sort of as they happened. Um, and seeing that he just sort of snuck in in front of cool which he threw down a, a hell of a run. Um, and then you're like, I can't believe it. I think I radioed down to Steve. I was like, well, I'm, I'm I'm shitting it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, but then you're looking at who's left and you're like Bruni, Verge, um, De And you're just like, it's not that you don't believe that you can, but you're like, there's so much talent to come and it'd just be too good if it actually happened. Yeah. Um, like it'd be too much. It wouldn't, it'd be too much. And then one by one, they kind of, they all came down and yeah, didn't, didn't beat him. You just, I'm just there. Like this is
0: just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you when you realised he'd won it? I was at the top.
1: Yeah, I was at the top still. Um, there was me, Loris's mechanic, PA, um, and Deprella's mechanic, um, uh, Loic. And um, for actually, that's how we we knew because I think Deprella was last to drop. I think right um, from memory. So we're all kind of huddled over, like trying to refresh the the, the screen. Because PA had the top five, and the way the live timer worked on the Tisa website, whoever was like live on track was at the bottom. So I like yeah. had people that were live, and he at the top. And then it kind of just froze, and we're all kind of there, and we didn't know <laughs> where anybody was. And then all of a sudden, Luit got a message saying that Deprella had crashed, and then that was kind of, yeah, that was when we all found out at the top.
0: It's strange, though, isn't it, finding out something so significant when you're at the other end of the track from your rider?
1: Yeah, and just the whole team and everyone, it was just like... I was just buzzing and I was like, I just wanted to yeah, speak to someone. I just couldn't get Steve on the radio and I was just in the bubble by myself, just looking at the madness of the crowd. Um, and then, yeah, like my phone started like blowing up from like all my mates watching it and like the, yeah, the syndicate chat from people watching in the U S and stuff. So sort of just going off and yeah. So I got I got to the pits and Tom was starting to like think of me. I was like, "I'm sorry, mate. I've just got a girl." Go. He's like, don't be daft off you, go. So I just sort of like <laughs> threw all my gear in the in the track and then yeah, sort of ran off
0: and caught podium. It was just yeah, it was amazing. Awesome, yeah. Someday, and you were supposed to be riding from there to Lenzerhide the next day. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, how, how did we, that work out? Yeah, no, I didn't.
1: I it was. We <laughs> we hatched this plan in Maribor because we just chatting about it and it kind of we're like, oh it'd be a big day, but it'd be all right. And then we sort of slowly sort of gathered. So um uh Nico's mechanic Sam was up for it, Wynne was up for it, um Seeger who does all the filming for us was like mad up for it. So he'd like flown over with his bike. I mean I was I was fully committed eh? I was like the, the day before the race I was fully packed up my shoes were out, my gels, my all my gear was there. Um <laughs> but I had said from the off in Maribor, I was like, look, if if he wins, there's just there's no way um I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm sorry. But um yeah, no, I got absolutely ruined and spent a very long car journey feeling quite ill to Lenza It's an amazing time. road though. If anybody happens to find themselves in Val headed to Lenza Heidi, I definitely recommend it. It's one of the best roads I've ever driven over. Unless you um, got a hangover. Unless you got a hangover. But it was uh it was stunning. And uh, Seeger, the madhead, got in at like three, woke up at six and was like, oh, I don't feel that bad. So got suited and bootied, had a slice of pizza for breakfast and set off, he did it. Impressive.
0: How long was the ride?
1: I think it was, I think it was 190K. And I think yeah. it was just over 5,000 meters of a... Uh, big day out. Yeah, big, big, big day, day out. out.
0: After three yeah. hours sleep and a slice of pizza. Yeah, yeah he had, I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, fair play to him. <laughs> Good effort do you get much chance to ride your bike at a world cup
1: yeah i mean yeah you've got to be you got to be motivated to get up in the morning um uh-huh. but um yeah we ride a fair bit to be fair i mean i'm not a morning person so i struggle a bit and tom often does drag me out but like if you if you're keen to get out for a for a pedal then definitely like we'll get out at like six um be out yeah on the riding for six six thirty come back in um, breakfast and then, yeah, day in the tools, it's, it'd nice. be rid It'd be rid not to, eh? Like you, you do all this traveling and go to these cool places. I mean, the riding's not always amazing, but there's always something and it's, it's always good to get out. Um, yeah. even just for your sort of mental fatigue, just to go out and get the, get the heart rate going and get a sweat on. You feel, you feel brand new after
0: clear your head a bit. Yeah, for sure. At some point this season, you guys were testing some uh, electronics from Fox on the suspension side of things. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, how do you feel about electronics on bikes? Because it feels like it's something that is becoming more and more prevalent. Does it Does it make you nervous, like from a reliability expect- perspective compared to the mechanical stuff?
1: Um, I mean, I guess to a point, anything new that you feel is untested would come with a worry of reliability um but i kind of feel that at least nowadays at least you'd hope that people know what's sort of at stake because you only have like the one run to put it down so if they didn't feel like it was reliable enough then they kind of they shouldn't be bringing it to you so i I guess there's more of an element of trust of the people bringing it to you than than there is about the product itself um I mean, at the end of the day, if it makes a bike go faster down a hill, then that is the end game. Like, I don't think it should have a motor in it, but if if it's a lockout, if it's gears that shift faster with less drag, or like whatever it is, if if you can squeeze out a few tens thousands of a second by having a little electric motor there, then why not? Do I need it on my own bike? Absolutely not. There's half the people. Definitely not. <laughs> but it's, do you know what I mean? Like everything slowly gets better. I know everybody moans at new standards and I do tear my own hair out of them myself. But ultimately <laughs> like bikes wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't for all those little steps in between, I guess.
0: Yeah, true, true. So were you nervous with that stuff on the bike? Was it hide that you ran it?
1: Yeah, we we tested it. Um but I think it was just a bit going on from just coming from um from worlds and stuff. So I think there was just just a lot basically. So we ended up taking it off and just going back to to what right. we knew. Um but it was nothing crazy. It just it kinda it wasn't a lockout either. It was definitely not a lockout. It just kinda firmed up the the low speed compression circuit. Um okay. So it's more of a firming um, than a than a lockout.
0: Yeah, just helps the bike maintain its shape a bit under pedaling. Or...
1: Th- yeah, I mean, okay, like, I imagine it'd be sort of great. I mean, apparently there's like a lot of time to be gained, like on the first few pedals out of the gate. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't done any testing myself, but Greg said he'd done some back in. Well, I don't know when it was. Maybe the Honda days. But he's basically, if you can sort of firm up that, you can gain quite a lot out of the gate um and then maybe sections like the motorway and and gang, i guess because you're not really needing to be getting through all your travel there so if there's a bit more to push through then that'd be better
0: yeah yeah it's going to be interesting to see where all that sort of stuff goes because there's definitely definitely a chunk of development going on that sort yeah. of thing but it's so it not it-
1: like if you look at a bike from 10 years ago it looks like a bike from 10 years ago do you know what i mean
0: <laughs> yeah yeah things it's have like, moved on
1: they, like they look old and it's not that long ago really.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was interesting the video that, that you guys put out of Petey on the Plenty on his, was it his, like his 06 bike or something? Yeah, yeah, his yeah, 06 bike. yeah, it was, yeah, mad to see. But the bike. Honestly, I bike, don't know
1: how he did that. <laughs> the I bike don't think anybody really else
0: old. could do that. Yeah, fair play. It was pretty close in the end, eh?
1: Yeah, but I was riding it around like in the garage and like every time I put a pedal stroke down, I just felt like I was going to go over the bars. <laughs> like it was so small. Yeah. yeah, I think he I think he just got carried away and got nostalgic. <laughs> Fair play. Loved it.
0: That was good, it was a good little watch. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um any, so any stressful moments from this season? Like do you, you you seem like a very laid back character. Do you do you feel stressed? Um I try to do everything
1: in order to not be. Um but obviously sort of it does ramp up to race day. Um I had one, I had a wheel that kept coming loose for some reason, and that was stressing me out a bit because obviously, when the, the play for the back wheels is annoying, and then obviously, your disc moves, your brakes feel a bit spongy. So, that was a, a bit of stress, but it, I managed to get it sorted. I don't know if it's just something not sitting quite right that I'd missed, but I couldn't figure it out for a minute. Um, that was a bit annoying. Um, I was a bit stressed at Worlds, and I was doing his tyres, so I put an extra PSI in the rear because I was worried. <laughs>
0: really you thought he yeah. was going to end up with a with a flat
1: Oh, I just yeah, I, I don't know I, I, I've never done it before and I've never done it since but I was just like I can't I, something about me just wouldn't let me put it down I was just worried that he'd be on a heater with greens and he'd get a flat and I just yeah I just put a little safety piece at the
0: back interesting for his race run <laughs> for his race run yeah does he know I, mean, I, just, uh, I don't know if he does or if he doesn't yeah he didn't come down and tell you that, that he felt no, like I it think, an extra I think pace, race like.
1: runs are a little bit different because you're so locked in. So, like I said, he's done it a few times, so it, it, he does notice. But I think with uh, just the intensity of the run and then obviously with the win, any sort of feedback you had for the bike was, was gone other than the bike was amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. Interesting. <laughs> um, but cool. yeah, I checked, I checked it again at the bottom just to see whether it was worth it. There was still 27 on the nose in there. So. There
0: you go. Well, yeah. it worked.
1: Yeah, but no, yeah. I mean, like, there's there's a bit of stress. Like, you don't, you just, like I say, you always have that little, did I? But then you have a process in place, so you know you did. Um, like he's done it. He's he's asked him before, like mid warm up, he'll just ping his earphone off, and he was like, my pedal's tight, and I'm like, yes, and he's like, of course. Right. and that was it. I'm like, of course dude, I've 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 checked them twice because I know I have, and he's just
0: like, yeah, sound headphone in, and
1: he was off. That's all he all he needed that was him him at ease
0: and. Yeah, that's but, what yeah. you want. What about, are you kind of fussy about stuff? Like a lot of the mechanics seem to be very specific about their toolboxes. Is that something that you get stuck into or you're not, um, not into that? Because Marshy was, wasn't was ever a big kind of fancy toolbox guy. No, he, toolbox was, guy, he right?
1: was like the anti-toolbox guy. Um, yeah, I think I remember him, he was going to do a check and he was trying to get loads of weird things to like hide in there, like lipstick and <laughs> something else. like. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I like it to to be organized and I like to know where everything lives so that if something's not there, I can find it. Um, I do like the idea of going like all out for like a big custom box, but it's a lot of time and investment for ultimately something that just functions fine the way you've got it. So yeah. Um, if I ever get some spare cash and a lot of free time, I might do something. Um, but there are some sick setups out there though I do appreciate them. Um, few, but few of the lads out there have got like gun cases. They're pretty sick. Nice. They're like all formed out and then like, there's no levels to them. So it's like everything you need is just either in the top or in the bottom. And it's like all laid out. Pretty
0: smart. Yeah. I guess if you're traveling, it's nice to have something that, that works. Suppose you can just flip open and get cracking, but
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody kind of does the same. I've got all the stuff that I use day and day out on the top, and then things that you need but aren't every day sort of underneath. Um, yeah, nothing crazy. I try to make sure that if I use everything in there, and if I don't, it sort of comes out because there's no point in carrying extra weight and stuff like that if you don't need it. Yeah,
0: what's in there that you couldn't live without?
1: Don't know. I mean well all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm trying to think of what my favorite is basically. I, I do love my Nepex sliding um not pliers, but like, you know, the, the flat edge multi uh, yeah. grips.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, they're pretty awesome. They come into their own all over the place. Yeah. You can use them like a vice, they're brilliant for like putting chalk hardware and stuff. Like if you haven't got a vice or you're in a car park or whatever, you just sort of squeeze them in bit by bit nice Yeah, do
0: some good stuff for sure
1: yeah i do like them and uh i've got like a little mini set of bolt cutters for cutting out spokes you just go through them like butter that makes your life easier
0: yeah
1: keeps your keeps your snips sharp
0: (laughs) nice and anything that you (laughs) kind of wish there was a tool to do but that doesn't exist yet if that makes sense (laughs) apart from stopping brakes rubbing
1: yeah, apart from, I mean, this yeah, I've, I've yet to try one of those little spacer guys that go in there, but I don't know. I don't know if anybody's used them. I don't know how I feel about them. <laughs> um, weirdly, I was thinking if it would be another way to sort of make sure that your levers are the same, but then I went and seen that Abby make one, which I yes. hadn't seen before. I don't know if I it's new. I think that's
0: pretty new, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it could be. Um, and then I think there's, like, laser things that, I, I never use one, but like, I still can't believe that sort of the steerer uh, stem interface is still round and open to interpretation of how straight your bars are.
0: <laughs> yeah. Impossible to actually convince yourself that's a hundred percent straight.
1: Yeah. Cause I've seen like people get like clip on level things to a tire, but I'm like, what if your tire's got a wobble in it? What if your wheels not destroyed? Like it's, it's amazing that it's not square.
0: Yeah. One day. <laughs> Maybe. Cool any any advice that you'd give to to want to be mechanics i mean like you said your your route in maybe wasn't the traditional route but what what do you think Um, is important for people that want to get to where you are
1: have a really good friendship with a very good barman (laughs) (laughs) i don't know just make sure that you you work to a level and it's it's basically it's got to be repeatable you can't like if you, and and don't be afraid to ask questions. That that's probably it, to be honest. Like, I think I don't know anybody, but like I know sometimes people are kind of like afraid to ask because they feel like they should know. Or, but I mean, I mean, I highlight half the things I know just from asking. Or, like I remember back in the early bike shop days, i just say I could do something, I'll go figure out how to do it and do it. <laughs> um that's But right. if, if if you never ask, like you're not, you can't be expected to know everything. There's so many different brands, different standards, new things that come in. And like, I'm, I'm still learning new things, like ways to do things or approaches to things that like I hadn't thought about. And I don't think anybody will ever, ever really stop. So yeah, be consistent and don't be afraid to ask
0: questions. Nice one. Good advice. We're getting close to the end of our time, but we'll hit our final four questions. Um, first one, if our listeners had 150 pounds to improve their performance on a bike, which is going to be like 180 euros, maybe. I can't quite do the conversion <laughs> in my head, but not much difference. Um, what would you recommend they go and spend it on? Um,
1: I don't know if it's the best thing, but nothing beats brand new tires on a bike for me. It feels like new bike day. It doesn't yeah. matter how beat up the bike is. If you put some new, sh- yeah, put some new tires on there, you just like oh. We're ready. And that's probably <laughs> not far off, 180 Euros these days. <laughs> yeah, probably
0: is. What's your
1: go-to for where you are? Um I kinda of, either as or DHR on the front. Um, I'm not super fussy. Um, kind of depends on the weather a little bit. And then pretty much just DHR on the rear. Yeah. Um the weather here was pretty wet this year, so I went uh for the first time since twenty-six inch wheels, through a set of screamers on front and rear. Nice. And that was that was an absolute riot, <laughs>
0: wicked. And would you go straight to DH casing for where you are, or do you like use a double down?
1: Or? Uh, no, I use double down on on my enduro bike, um, yeah. and then yeah, down. 0. I mean, you can for safety. I did. I, I kind of regretted it in a way, but I did the the Trans Provence in twenty nineteen and put um, DH casings on front and rear um, for safety. But it's a slog, eh? Yes, yeah, you, def- of extra you definitely know they're on there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: All right, second question. Uh, If you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself, age 16, what advice would you give him?
1: Just, I don't know if I ever did massively, but just not to worry. (laughs) It's going to be all right.
0: Yeah, you seem to have uh, ended up where you wanted to be without ever particularly feeling too stressed about it. That's the impression that I get.
1: Yeah, I just yeah like i always just made decisions on what would make my quality of life i guess better to me that is yeah. um and it kind of it kind of worked out
0: do you never feel like an external pressure to kind of perform or achieve does that make sense like i think a lot of people feel the pressure that they have to I climb think, a corporate ladder or whatever like
1: i think living here. It's, you're super lucky because you kind of have people that like stereotypically like at home for example it's kind of you say you got to progress you got excel people want the house or the car or it's kind of like a very standard goal set but people yeah. that it doesn't really sit that well with kind of tend to escape to places like here or whistler or new zealand so like where i've i mean i've been here for sort of over 10 years um spent like all of my 20s here um and you're just not really surrounded by that sort of way of thinking um yeah like it's amazing living here but it wasn't without its its hardships like I was homeless for a month and like just trying to find somewhere to live and like I remember there was, there was one week where I was like, I do not know how I'm going to pay rent, but then all of a sudden someone rings you up for some labouring in the interseason season and you're like, hey, we're on. There you go. Um, Always works out. But yeah. So like not massively
0: here, um, but yeah, no, not really. So you think Morsene's been a big part of enabling you to take that approach?
1: I think so. Yeah. Cause like I say, you're just not surrounded. Like there are people who come here and then end up sort of like making, like you you have to make something here to live here long-term basically because you've got to, like there's only so long you can keep doing like seasonal work for or just season. So like if you want to live here long-term, you've got to find a job that you can have year-round, which there's not a ton of, um, or uh, what most people do is they find something that they can make a business out of whether that's in hospitality or transfers or like just supply and accommodation and then they sort of build that up and some people do it just enough to sort of support their life so it's kind of the same thing they've gone out and they've created the the whatever it is but they kind of keep it at a level that allows them to be like getting the most out of what they want to get out of being here and then there's other people that sort of grow it bigger and bigger and Maybe eventually, then find the balance after the fact because they've now got enough staff that it can kind of run without them or whatever the case may be. But as a general rule, there's not like, there's just not that like pressure here.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing. Nice mm. awesome. one. All it right. Yeah, yeah. It sounds good. Third question uh, If you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn?
1: I forgot about this one. <laughs> Um, I think if it was if it was present, I'd probably say Cathro. Um, okay. just, I mean, I think he's awesome at what he does, but the main reason is because we're pretty much the same height. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'd love to get his take on being the big man, and obviously he goes that fast and sort of just get his take on it because he's he's still absolutely pinned as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be that'd be pretty amazing. Um, I don't know for 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 anybody else. I think that's that's that was the first one that sprung to mind, but I mean, there's like, there's the classics and they're like, like imagine getting a cornering lesson from Hill or like, do you know what I mean? It's it'd be kind a good of, day out. It'd be, it'd be a great day. Might not be yeah. the fullest of chat, but you, you might learn a thing or two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you find it, um, do you find it, like, do you think there's disadvantages to being very tall when, you, when it comes to downhill mountain bike? Um, cause what I'm are you bit, six, six, seven,
1: six, seven. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a bit of extreme. Um, and I guess everything's sort of pros and cons, but I think the biggest thing that I've feel like I've struggled with until kind of recently is like the size of bikes. Yeah. Like being able to move your weight forwards and backwards, like in the past, has had such a dramatic effect on where your weight is. Sort of, you either feel like you're going out the front door or you're about to lip out the back door, and there's yeah. not a lot of in between. Whereas, kind of now that bikes are sort of growing to the sizes that they are, I kind of feel a lot more comfortable sort of leaning into the front or pushing like through the rear. It just, I think that's been the biggest thing for me. But yeah, I don't know, it doesn't seem to stop CAFRO, does it?
0: it definitely doesn't (laughs) it's pretty it's pretty rapid fair enough all right last one what do you do every day that you feel benefits you
1: um god i don't know i wish it was stretching because uh-huh. that would that would definitely help a lot. Like touching your toes is a good day. Um, <laughs> trying to, trying to work on doing that every day. Um, I don't know. Honest. Yeah, I honestly, it's a hard one to answer, isn't it? That it, it benefits you. I mean, you think everybody tries to do a multitude of things, whether they the uh, they succeed or not, and doing them day in day out. But
0: yeah, that's always the tricky bit, right?
1: Yeah say something cheesy like laugh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you do? Well, it comes across like you have a good time anyway. The syndicate yeah. always has done, I think, so it looks like yeah. you're enjoying your work for sure. I mean, it,
1: it is a cheesy answer, but I mean, if if you're not finding a moment in a day to sort of just be content or have a laugh or something, and I know days, some days are harder than others, but you've got to try and even find the, the lighthearted bits and, and dark days as well. So, Yeah, 100%.
0: Cool. Well, it's been super interesting finding out a bit more about you. I'm looking forward to seeing how future seasons go. See how long Greg keeps going, and uh, yeah, see no, how, like, how you, you boys get on.
1: Yeah, who knows when when that that will come to
0: an end? <laughs> ah, you got you got another ten years, easy. <laughs> oh, mate, I don't, I don't think I get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, if people want to keep up to date with what you're up to, where's the best place for them to look?
1: Um probably the Syndicate YouTube channel because I do a terrible job of doing my own social, but it's just um at Lyle Hislop if you do want to follow occasionally there'll be something on there.
0: All right. Well yeah, I'll stick a link to that in the show notes. I'll put the link to the Syndicate YouTube in there as well because there's always some good stuff coming back from the races. So yeah, thanks a lot for taking the time to chat and wish no worries, you all mate. the best for next season.
1: Yeah, thanks uh, thanks a ton for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolute pleasure nice one cheers mate awesome cheers dude alright that's it for this episode with Lyle I really hope you've enjoyed it a massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show don't forget that as a downtime listener you can get 15% off all of their rim only products by using the code Supply 2021 over at the checkout on WeR1composites.com. that's Supply all lowercase all one word followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com also, a massive thank you to Nukeproof. They've just launched their autumn winter range of clothing, which you can check out over at nukeproof.com. If you want to be in with a chance of winning one of their awesome blackline waterproof jackets, along with some Sam Hill signature grips and pedals, then you can head over to downtimepodcast.com slash nukeproof before the 9th of December and answer a simple question to be entered into a prize draw. Don't forget to add a Downtime EP subscription and a Downtime hoodie or t-shirt to your Christmas list and start dropping hints to whoever you want to get it for you or you could pick up a sub or some merch for your partner who rides your riding buddies or even as a nice little treat for yourself. For EP subscriptions head over now to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and for hoodies and t-shirts then you need downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, there's a few things you can do to help out. Please, first and foremost, tell your rider mates about the podcast, because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Give the episodes a share on your social media. It's an awesome way to spread the word, and it helps get the buzz going around the episodes too. And if you've still got time, then a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride.